Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum, Chief Content Officer for Ermi and Captive.com. And on today's podcast, we are honored to have a distinguished guest with us, Anne-Marie Toll, CEO, Global Risk and Captive Solutions at Highland. Anne-Marie is an expert in captive insurance and risk management and is here to discuss captive-centric risk management. Anne-Marie, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about your background and expertise in this field? I imagine there's only a few people in the captive industry who don't know you, but... (laughs) Thank you, Joel, and good to talk with you again here. Yes, I've been fortunate to be in the industry for well over 30 years now and has started my career in public accounting doing tax structuring work for insurance companies and specifically captives, and then migrated over to what some people call the dark side on the traditional global large brokerage houses and working there on structuring insurance companies, captives, managing them, also looking at fronting and reinsurance agreements, structured solutions per se, I did that about 20 years ago, and since that time, been fortunate to have a great series of learning events that have helped shape my career and brought me to the place where I am today here at Highland and leading their global risk and global captive solutions team and really partnering with our clients to develop customized risk management financing tools, which include captives as part of their overall risk management strategy. Cool. Well, thanks, Henry. Your contributions, they're significant. You're just a key figure in the captive industry. And throughout your career that you just talked about, I'm curious what stands out as the most maybe remarkable development or event you've witnessed in the industry over a 30-year-plus career? Right. When we think back on the time period that we've just gone through here recently, that was obviously what I would call a little bit of a career shaping event, not significantly for myself. But when I look around our industry of the hard market leading into the COVID years that we had, in my opinion, is pretty significant from the fact that the hard market was already starting to get a little bit harder pre-COVID. And then you throw in the fact of a huge lifestyle change for every single one of us. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gen Xer like me, you're a Gen Z, a millennial, baby boomer. It affected all of us in a a huge life-changing way of how we interact with one another, how we buy our groceries, You know, how do we go to work or not go to work to an office space? And so I think when I look back at different significant events that I've had the pleasure or not so much of a pleasure living through, this was one that's significant and still top of mind from the fact of when we look at captives and risk management and speaking and engaging with all the risk managers I have the last couple of years and dealing with something that at first was very difficult. And when you think about tangible, like this wasn't the type of, oh, we just had an earthquake. Oh, we just had a fire at our facility. This is something that was dramatically different from a you know pandemic, a communicable disease type of event that 
many of us in our lifetime have not lived through. And now that we've lived through it and we look at from a risk management perspective, this was very significant. And I think it's changed the view and the attitude on many risk managers' plates, many of the consultants and what we all do to help support them from a risk perspective of how can we do things a little bit differently. And when we think about the aspect of all the people that ended up working at home during this time period, obviously there were critical responders, healthcare, and a lot of different areas that did not shut down completely. And I certainly commend and praise them for all the hard work during this time period. But the rest of us were here sitting in our homes, working at home, and trying to figure out how do we all interact and interface with each other. And so it's changed us dramatically. But I think it's also, there's some good, and we'll continue to see that, that has come out of this and how we can interact, how people can still be very professional, very efficient and effective, even working from home where other people were in an office space. So there's a lot of critical things, like you said, Joel, when you look back over my 30 year career, this one I think is important because to me it was life changing, not only for me, but for a lot of people, but it's also still very fresh in my minds. I was on a phone call earlier today with a client and he shared with me that he was just getting over COVID. He just had it again. So it's something we're all figuring out still and how do we live with this, that it's a different aspect. And so I think for me, that was one of the life changing and part of the reason I say it's it's important in the career aspect is because we have exploded in the captive insurance industry. The last four years have certainly had significant growth from the aspect of managing risk differently. So when you couple that fact of the hard market and then you layer on COVID and all of those ramifications, people are really looking at alternatives and captives rise to the top. And as we say in the captive industry, it's bigger than being an alternative. It is mainstream now and it has grown significantly. I'm extremely passionate about what we do with captives and it's a significant change. And I tell young people in the industry all the time, like, cherish this time because this may not always be the case in the future. Life and insurance cycles, uh, it's very cyclical and it may not be as hard and as driven as it is today. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm a Gen Xer too. So COVID changing the way we work, I get the impact. But also I see on Ermy.com, we have, we are tracking COVID coverage issues, but also right. on captive.com, we are focused on the explosion and written many articles on how captives have just boomed in the last couple of years. So I think it's, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of awestruck a little bit, Anne-Marie, but let's let's get everyone on board with today's topic. And, and I think we need to start by covering the essentials, laying down the groundwork for our listeners. So help us by providing a brief overview of captive insurance and why captive centric approach to risk management is unique. Absolutely, Joel. And thinking about that captive centric approach and why people would want to look at this type of process or taking this approach on their journey with a captive. Because once you establish a captive, 
and backing up a step, I guess, too, just to give that platform, a captive at its core, as I call it, is a self-insured form of insurance. And it's just licensed, it's regulated, and you're basically taking on the risk that you're comfortable with. It's no different that if I'm a manufacturing company and I'm manufacturing an automobile, I'm going to have risk because most likely I'm not going to buy a guaranteed cost policy, for instance, on my workers' compensation. I'm going to take some sort of deductible or retention because it is meaningful for me from a cost savings. And the other aspect that becomes important, and we'll talk about this with that captive-centric approach, is now I have more control. So I can control those claims in that deductible layer and thinking about that aspect, and then now starting to apply it from a, a risk management perspective becomes extremely important as an owner of a company, and how do I make decisions based on my risk profile and risk appetite? And so thinking about that captive-centric approach, what I see and what a couple of my friends in the industry, some actuaries actually that I'm friends with that we talk about is, once you have a captive, a lot of times people get religion. And what we mean by that is you start seeing the fruits of your labor. You're seeing that retention strategy and you're becoming extremely familiar with the process. And so taking a captive-centric approach, in my opinion, and I, and I love this approach because I think it's applicable across the board. It doesn't matter if you're a not-for-profit, a for-profit company, you manufacture automobiles, you're a healthcare system, is being mindful of your entire risk portfolio at your organization and saying, I have a captive now. This is a tool and a vehicle that I can retain risk and finance it in. How can I make that core and central to all my risk buying decisions? I have this vehicle. I can access the reinsurance market for capacity. I can manuscript my own type of coverages if I see fit, make them broader perhaps. I can now start writing policies direct versus transferring everything to the commercial marketplace. Having that type of control over your own destiny makes this captive-centric approach really important because you're looking at the aspect of I'm going to approach every single line of coverage I have and really have my hat on as a captive owner and say, is this something that I want to have risk-bearing capacity in my captive? So when I, when I mean that captive-centric approach, it is that aspect of let's look at every single exposure we have within our organization. And that being said, it doesn't mean you're going to write every single small policy in your captive. You're just switching your mindset of, I have this vehicle. Can I use it? It is an insurance company. Can I access it? Can I leverage it? Is it efficient for me to use? Is it effective? Does it provide me additional value? And that's kind of the cost, or excuse me, the captive-centric approach is being mindful of it each and every time you go through a renewal. Let's say you go through an acquisition. Is it something I should pull into my captive and putting on that mindset? So it's a little bit of a shift sometimes for some organizations to take that captive-centric approach. 
Okay, so I'm just digging in here a little bit because I'm I'm curious, but the the captive centric approach to risk management is unique for each person in that captive, right? It's because of how they're looking at it. So that that brings me to dig in more. We often hear the term risk philosophy in the context of risk management practices. So tell us a little bit more about risk philosophy in general, and then more specifically in the context of captive insurance. Absolutely, great point, Joel, because it's important whether you have a captive or if you don't, and you're approaching and contemplating implementing that type of structure for your organization, the first step, and I have an arrow, and I love that arrow because I use it very frequently when I'm teaching or educating people on captive insurance, because the first step in that arrow in the process is actually understanding and knowing what is your risk philosophy or risk appetite. We use those words a little bit interchangeably. And it's hard to say, okay, I've seen thousands and thousands of captives in my lifetime, you know, over my career to pick one up and say, okay, now I'm talking to you, Joel, you're interested in having a captive. Let me just take that approach and apply it to you. That can't happen. I mean, there are certain pieces and elements that are going to be applicable across the board. But what I can't tell you is how do you approach risk? Not only you, if you're a risk manager, or an HR director, but how does your C-suite or your owners or your stakeholders at your organization approach risk? Because it's not only the buy-in from yourself, it's from those stakeholders. And it's gonna vary because the example I provided earlier on the workers' compensation, you might have some organizations that are willing to take the first million dollar of coverage in their captive, where you might tell me, I'm a little risk adverse. I'm more comfortable at $100,000 than a million dollars. And that risk philosophy and appetite is extremely important because how do you determine it? And that's a question we get frequently. How do I know what I'm comfortable with? And some of it's a mathematical exercise because sitting down, doing some analysis on your organization and then presenting options. Here's a deductible. If you finance 100,000 versus 250 versus a million, what does that mean from a financial analytical standpoint and the impact? And can you withstand that type of claim event, adverse event, if it happens in the captive or even at the operating company? And so that risk appetite and philosophy is going to evolve as you do some analysis if you don't have an approach. And then coupling that with the fact that as you execute whatever type of strategy or particularly with the aspect of a captive-centric approach and utilizing the captive, it's going to continue to evolve and change. So what your risk philosophy and appetite is today is not going to be the same a year, two, three, four years down the road. It should evolve and change as your organization grows and changes. Because if you have an acquisition, your risk appetite could dramatically change, especially if you go into a, a diverse business different than your core operating business model. So keep that in mind that it is not something that is static. I think that's really great advice, Anne-Marie. And, and, and maybe further to this about captives, can you tell us what steps are involved in determining 
captive-centric risk management? Absolutely. And I think the organizations that execute effectively on this captive-centric strategy are the ones that get started with a captive and really continue as a board and as an organization to review that risk appetite each and every year, and then evaluate, spending the time doing the analysis that's required. So as I say, and one of my clients said this, this was probably about 15 years ago, we were speaking on a panel together, and I think he said it very appropriately. He said, for lessons learned through a process, he said, approach your captive as you would your core business. And that means you need to give it some time and attention like you do your core business. You can't just set up your captive, set it on a shelf, and remain static over time. You need to give some time and attention and surround yourself with the experts that can help guide you from a strategic perspective. And that's important when we couple it with that captive-centric approach and strategy, because you're going to need to evaluate and look at is it the right time to be using my captive more versus less? Right now in the hard market, people should be looking at their captive if it's been established for a long time, they have surplus in there. How can they leverage that surplus to take on more risk, add additional lines of coverage? So I think the most successful organizations are ones that adopt this approach and really are committed at a board level and then when they assign tasks to various people that might not even be on the board, but are internal to an organization to really leverage and allow them the capability of reviewing and analyzing optimization of the use of a captive. Yeah, I, I heard some real gems in there and I wanna make sure our listeners got that. And I feel like that's kind of looking at your risk philosophy and trying to be captive centric in your risk management practices, but aligning yourself with industry experts who can help facilitate those things that your captive, you can use your captive to do to leverage your business. I think that's really some great insight. And I would, Amory, I, I would love if you could share a success story or an example where a company effectively utilized captive insurance to enhance its risk management practices. I think that would be really cool and help crystallize. I love a good story, so. <laughs> Absolutely, no, sharing, I think what, and that's a good point, Joel, because it is very important. And when people hear some of the good stories regarding captives, there's a lot of good work everybody in the industry does, but really risk managers sometimes are not awarded all the accolades for all the hard work and the good work that they're doing to achieve success for their organization. And I think that's where it's important. And when you hear these stories, it is really important. And I'll give you a couple of examples if we have time. One of them is a few years ago, I was working with a very large organization, privately held, but a, an extremely large billion dollar plus organization. And they had actually multiple captives and they were looking at with these multiple captives, what is our strategy? You know, we've had a lot of these for years and we need to work on our risk management protocols. Does it make financial sense to have three different captives 
in three different parts of the world? Can, is there some consolidation and effort we can do? And some of that is coupled with obviously savings, financial savings, but the other aspect was really coupled with what, what can we do to help enhance our risk management protocols, processes, procedures, and strategies. And so we went in and worked with them on, look, here's what's happening in the general industry. And this was actually um, just pre-COVID. So it was before the market was getting as hard as it is today. And we were looking at how can we assist the organization with risk management strategy at the different divisions all around the world. And what we did was work with them on an allocation strategy, looking at where the captive could take some retention on various lines. And then at individual division level, they could take lower retentions. Because you know, if I'm one division operating, let's say in a very small country, I may not have the financial wherewithal to take as large of a deductible or retention as I do if I'm operating in 10 states here in the United States. So looking at that, and what we did too that was very meaningful and successful is leverage the dollars in the captive to help support risk management salaries and professionals to expand their departments and those being paid by the captive versus the operating companies and supporting it. And then also bringing in safety experts, industry professionals, that can help support them rewriting some of the policies and then also leveraging those dollars to buy, whether it's safety equipment and other areas that could help reduce the risk and manage it from the long-term. And this helped, in my opinion, put the risk management department on the map of the organization because they were able to lower costs by removing it from the operating companies, placing it in the captive, expand their team, and then focus more on what we're doing to reduce lost costs and having better outcomes for the organization, for employees, for customers, et cetera. And that is, I think, a great example of a captive-centric approach and realigning your strategies and making it really core and central for the captive, but also core and central to your goals and objectives of your operating companies. Yeah, that's one of the best stories I've heard. I got to say, I love it. It feels like a real win-win-win there for everybody, right? Where that captive-centric approach, it, it takes it out of the operating cost, but it still invests in safety. You're, you're leveraging your captive dollars to improve safety, but that has an ancillary effect, making the operating units more productive. If you don't have losses, you keep people who are qualified, trained workers on, on site. That's that's great stuff. I loved it. So thank you for sharing that story. Okay, so one more question. We kind of like to ask a lot of our guests this one, but I'm interested in your take at it. Sure. So as we look into the future, what emerging challenges and opportunities do you foresee relating to captive-centric risk management, and how can businesses stay ahead in navigating the challenges that face captives? No, great question. And I know a lot of us talk about this and what does the future look like? Because probably like you, I'm not working another 20 years. I'm planning on retiring at some point. And so we think about 
the next generation. Some of the, the challenges that I think we have in the captive insurance space, the wider insurance space and affects risk management as well is talent. We have a talent gap. We need additional talent. And then one of the other challenges, but I think can be a good thing in my opinion, is the use of technology, data, AI, chat, GPT, all of those things that, yes, there are warning labels per se on a lot of those, of course, but these are areas that I think can be, be used for good and, and for good avenues to help support risk management. What can we do with technology, wearables, safety equipment in vehicles, transportation, help reduce auto liability, workers' compensation, a lot of those different areas that directly affect risk management and captive-centric approaches. So what I think and you know, my prediction and hope for the future, even my own children, is being able to gather, educate, and promote our insurance industry and their use of technology. Our children have grown up with basically cell phones in their hands or laptops and everything else. I did not grow up in that manner. And so let's leverage their young talent and mindset and technology all together to help make it, not to be a push of this, but a better world, honestly, a safer world for what we need to do. And I think we are at this cusp right now because it is so important to use that data. We have leverage and we have data now where people can collect it. We've got the technology. We bring in the young talent and they can teach us all. And I think that's kind of some of my predictions for the future. It's going to make make it a better, safer world is my hope. Well, that's awesome. As, as we both have children in the insurance industry about the same age, I really like that message. That's a great one. All right. Well, hey, I'm ready to bring this episode to a close, but I, I really just want to thank you, Anne-Marie, for sponsorship and support your commitment to Captive.com, our podcast, deeply appreciated. But, you know, our community's growth doesn't stop here at the end of this podcast. If you're inspired by our content and you're looking for a way to contribute, considering sponsoring through Captive.com, becoming a sponsor, you're not just supporting our podcast or, or Captive.com, you're investing in a platform that amplifies voices and ideas that matter in our industry. So please, if you want more information about stuff on today's podcast, you can visit captive.com to learn more. And you know, your support means the world to us. And together, we continue to bring more of our amazing content your way. Thanks everyone for listening. And we can't wait to share our next episode with you.